Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de la Matroque, and Ina Corio. And actually today there's four of us because my kitty Rolf is on my shoulder and the back of my chair. Hopefully he'll be quiet. So far he is. He's being a sweet boy at the moment. When he does talk, he squeaks. He doesn't meow like a regular cat. He squeaks. <laughs> you a squeaker? Are you a squeaker, Mr. Rolfie? See, he's being quiet. He's not answering. All right, we are almost done with the main story of Philippe de Lamatrox's Call of Duty ghost story, More Than a Ghost. And I'm excited to finish it. I kind of wanted to do it last night, but it was already past three in the morning. It was moving on toward four. So <laughs> I decided not to read a second two chapters um, for that. But... We're ready to do so now, and, and then I've got a few other things to do on a Sunday evening before I start work again on Monday. But let's get into it then, okay? Here comes chapter 11. Oh, by the way, the kitty decided to go, so he's no longer with us. I mean, he's alive. <laughs> he just decided to leave the room. All right, let's get started. Call of Duty Ghosts, More Than a Ghost, by Philippe de Lamatroc, Chapter 11. Estelle prayed quietly as she drove through the dark streets of Phoenix without headlights. They couldn't go very fast. When she dared a glance to her right, she saw Logan facing fully forward with a clenched jaw and two fists on his knees. He was stressed. She didn't blame him at all. They were in occupied territory heading toward a Federation checkpoint south of No Man's Land and still a state away from home. We should probably put the lights on for the checkpoint, right? She asked. It'd be suspicious to drive up without them. Logan nodded. She kept her eyes forward, but reached her hand out to take his. We're going to get through this. She was trying to convince herself as much as him. I trust Jesus. He's more powerful than anything on this earth. He squeezed her hand. She kept her eyes on the road. She saw lights ahead. There were a few cars in line. Lord, we're heading through that checkpoint there. We need your help. If I die, I go to be with you. But if they take Logan, they will torture him again. Lord, you know how he suffered. You know the designs they have for him. Keep him free, Lord. Please get us through the, this checkpoint and help us get home. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. It was blunt, but God didn't require flowery language. She turned on the headlights and pulled in behind the fifth car. The line moved ahead slowly. There were armed guards. She couldn't tell if they were drunk or not. She remembered what they were supposed to be pretending. She took her hand back and tapped on Logan's shoulder. Once he faced her, she signed. We are deaf. We can't understand what they say. We can't answer them. We can't react to any sound. We need to be signing so they get the idea. Logan nodded and took a deep breath. I didn't see my dad at the checkpoint, like I did in the pit and Columbia. Why can't I see him now? Estelle wasn't really comfortable with the idea of ghosts in that sense, but she knew his father was a major reason he was still sane. Others might think him crazy, but she had been put off that train, and she had seen something happen at the checkpoints. She also knew what, that they wouldn't have found Logan without his father. David never saw him. Why is that? She inched the car forward as the front car drove away. There were rules. He had to learn them. 
He could do some things with me and other things with Hesh. So she considered that. Maybe your need was greater then. There was one set of rules for then. But now he is under the other rules. Logan looked sad at that, so she kept signing. Tell me about the train. He took another breath. I was really tired, but he woke me. I don't know how. I felt heavy. I couldn't hear him. He showed me what to do, and I did it. Estelle had thought about some of this during the long drive. I think we were drugged. The Federation got to the train. He nodded. I don't know how he woke me, if I was drugged. Now that was more familiar territory. Well, if we hold that God sent your father, well, nothing is impossible with God. The line of cars moved up as another drove off. You think God sent my father? Yes, she replied. Maybe it's just easier for me to wrap my head around it that way, but I do believe it. I prayed for a way through the checkpoint when we got here, and your father took their battery power and distracted them. God can make a way where there is no other way. Did you know that God sent an angel to release Peter from prison? He shook his head. Probably hadn't had a lot of Bible study since the war began. She was a chaplain, but she was never great at reciting scripture word for word. Sometimes it was called for. Other times it was not. Peter was in prison, chained to a guard. An angel appeared. The chains fell off, and Peter walked right out of the gate. Another car was let go, and the line moved again. I wish he'd done that for me. He still does miracles, she told him, just not always the miracles we want. We don't control him. His reasoning is higher than ours. He didn't get you out, but he sent your father to help get you out. Logan was pensive. He was considering it. That was good. Well, not for trying to show everyone they were deaf. I do wish your father had thought to drop our shoes out of the train. He smiled. Me too. Mine are too big. Mine pinch a bit. She moved the car forward. She could see the guards better now. One stood off to the side with a bottle in his hands. Maybe the waitress was right. He told me you have power. Estelle was intrigued. You said you didn't hear him. Not there, he replied, in a dream. That was very cool, she decided. Maybe he saw the Holy Spirit in me. I don't have power. God is the power. There was only one car ahead now. Do you believe in God? Logan thought for a bit. I think I do. I just don't know why he let all this happen. That is a very old question. One of the guards had left his station and was walking toward them. She ignored it. He yelled something in Spanish she didn't even try to understand. She was deaf. She'd be deaf. He yelled louder and slower behind her in the window. Logan pointed to the guard. Now she could pay attention. She rolled down the window and started signing. I can't understand you. I am deaf. He waved his hands around, mocking her. She could smell the alcohol from where he stood. Another went to Logan's window and tapped on it. Logan kept his eyes on her. Good. She pointed, and he turned. He rolled down his window and repeated what she had signed. I can't understand. I am deaf. Logan's guard yelled at the one in her window, and they started having an argument. Then something happened. A jeep off to the side started up, headlights blazing. It lurched forward, and several of the guards ran toward it. No one was behind the wheel. It sped up and slammed into a barricade before the lights slowly flickered out. Car battery, she signed to Logan. Logan's guard waved in the windshield as he walked past. He motioned them forward. The way was clear. Estelle thanked him and drove on. 
She turned right and drove west away from Phoenix. She merged onto a highway and into the light traffic on it. It was mostly semi-trucks. Cars were fewer. She waited until the city's lights faded in her rear view. You're a pretty good actor. I had to be, he signed. Yes, you did, she said. You did good. Now I think we can breathe easy for a bit. Why don't we try the radio again? Check theirs first. See if they're on to us. He pulled out the radio he'd taken from the checkpoint and listened in. She caught enough to know they were still looking. Phoenix was never mentioned. That's good. I want to know if we're in range yet. He put that radio away and handed her the other. She thought about what she'd say if someone answered. They were still in occupied territory. Someone could conceivably listen in. She's decided to try to couch things in code to not be too obvious. And to keep it short. Sawyer to Ghost 1-1. Copy Sawyer. Her eyes went wide and she grinned. Is Ghost 6-4 with you? She didn't recognize the voice right off. It wasn't Merrick, that was certain. Affirmative, we are alive and well. We are approximately five clicks out of Firebird, heading home. Firebird, ma'am? We're heading a sideways, backwards L to the back streets. I don't understand, but I'll pass the message along. Good luck. Copy, Ghost 1-1. Sawyer out. Beside her, Logan held up an L with his left hand turned backwards to point the L backwards. Then he tilted it. Hesh stared at the paper, hoping that his father would come. He could take energy from the battery and then write on the paper. He could tell them where Logan was again. Hesh hated that he'd lost his brother again. He had just started to feel like that nightmare was over. He'd hated leaving Logan behind in the hospital. He was glad Estelle had stayed with him, but it wasn't the same. He hadn't heard back from Logan for three days. Once he'd seen him, clean-shaven and all, he'd, he'd felt so much better. They'd talked every couple of days after that. Then he was on the train, heading home, and then now this. The train had been crashed into no man's land. They were able to piece together that the Federation had planted a man on the train. He'd drugged the whole train, probably by gas, and a small team had infiltrated and diverted it. Another team attacked the border checkpoint and killed the Canadians manning it. They'd stopped the train there and searched it. Trucks were waiting to carry off Logan and whatever else they salvaged. Then they drove the train on. The tracks only went so far. Odin had destroyed much of the entire southern United States. Trains just didn't go that far, that way anymore. Some 200 Americans had lost their lives in their sleep when the train had wrecked. A small team had then searched north along the tracks. It was unknown what they found, if they found anything. They left soon after. By the time the U.S. and Canadian troops had retaken the border crossing, there was that one dead fed soldier that hinted at Logan's survival and freedom. He hadn't been shot. His throat had been slit. His body had been picked over for resources. That had to be Logan. Merrick was actually relieved in part because it meant Logan could still work for his own survival. Hesh got his point and was glad for that too, but it didn't matter so much when some madman was willing to risk so many of his own men for just his one brother. Taking the border station had not gotten the Federation any real tactical value. They didn't hold it. The train was a loss, but it offered little in the way of real intelligence or tactical advantage. There were no high-value targets on the train, except Logan. It was bold and audacious to risk such a strategy for so little gain. Hesh just didn't think a man like that was going to give up so easily. Logan was free four days ago. Was he still? He heard a knock on his door and looked up. Merrick and Keegan entered, both in their underwear. 
They'd been sleeping. Merrick had a piece of paper with him. We just heard from Estelle, Merrick said. He handed the paper to Hesh. His brother was with her alive and well, but the rest was confusing. Firebird? Stumped us for a bit, too, Keegan said. Merrick didn't make him parse it out. Phoenix, the bird that rises from the flames. They just left Phoenix. Phoenix is in occupied territory, Hesh exclaimed. What were they doing there? We don't know, Merrick admitted. He sat down on Logan's bed and Keegan did the same. But we do know they're safe for now. Now for that sideways backwards L? Hesh waited. Neither of them offered an answer. Hesh picked up the paper he wanted his father to write on and the pen he'd hoped he'd write with. Merrick took note of the battery, he saw, but the older man didn't say anything. Hesh wrote a backwards L, then turned it one way. That would have them going north out of Phoenix into no man's land and then west toward San Diego. He turned it the other way. They were headed west in occupied territory and then would turn north. It was the into the back streets that tipped him off. They wouldn't need that if they were north already. They could just come straight in. But if they were going west first, they'd have to go all the way to Tijuana to come straight up into the heart of San Diego as it was now. They were going to hit the outskirts, the suburbs further east. Hesh did not like this plan, but it was the only one that made sense with the Backstreet's comment. He told Merrick and Keegan what he suspected. They won't risk Tijuana. They're going through occupied territory, Merrick repeated. I gotta admit, the feds probably won't expect that. They probably thought they'd head north at their first chance. I wish they had. Keegan shook his head. When they left the border crossing, he said, the roads down there were all chewed up by Odin. Very few roads go north without dropping you in a hole. Same with any direction, but if you were heading south and west, you might make it through in turns, through to Phoenix. So your brother, the most wanted single individual in the entire United States, at least by this one guy, walked into an occupied city with a pacifist chaplain and somehow didn't get caught. Hesh remembered something. Don't we have people in Phoenix? Resistance? Can they tell us anything? Radio chatter is hard for them. The Federation is always sweeping for radios. We may hear from them, we may not. Keegan's baritone broke in as he stood. It's too bad your brother can't talk. That's going to be one hell of a story when he gets back. Elias stood back and smiled. They had worked it out. They knew where Logan and the woman were, to a point. They didn't know they were in a car given to them by that resistance, but they knew they were where they were headed, and that meant they could help once Logan and Estelle got closer. Elias closed his eyes and thought of his younger son. He opened his eyes to find he was sitting in the bags in the back seat. Logan had his seat back. His eyes were closed. The woman, Estelle, was driving, singing quietly to herself. She was glowing. There was something about her that he couldn't quite figure out. Did all chaplains glow like that? He cared more about his son, though, so he focused back on him. The rules had changed. Logan didn't see him or hear him anymore, except in his dreams. In those dreams, Elias actually heard his son's voice, and it was like music to his ears. He touched Logan's shoulder again and wheeled himself to find his son in his sleep. He found that he was in the crate beside Logan. Logan was despairing and cold. He had almost given up. Logan, Elias said, you're not here anymore. Hesh rescued you. You don't have to be here anymore. Can't leave, his son said. Tried. Elias knew this was a dream. Dreams could change. He just had to figure out how to change this one. You were in a car with that powerful woman. Look at her, Logan. She's glowing. 
Logan turned and the crate disappeared. He was in the car again. His body stayed asleep, but in the dream, Logan looked at the woman. Is that the Holy Spirit? She said it was in her. I don't know, Elias said. I'm just a ghost. I don't get all the answers. Did God send you to help me, Dad? Logan asked. Elias thought about that. He tried to remember where he was before he was in the pit with Logan. There was nothing there, though. No bright lights and ancestors waiting to welcome him. Nothing of a darker nature, either. Just nothing. I don't know, son. I was just there with you. I don't know where I was before that. But I look at her, and I think maybe it's possible. You helped us set the checkpoints, Logan said, changing the subject. Of course. I won't let them take you when I can do something to help. I can't do as much now, but I'll do what I can. Thank you. Logan's eyes were getting heavy. Logan, that was you at the border crossing. You saved her. You did that. I'm proud of you. Logan smiled and closed his eyes. Elias pulled back and let him rest fully. They were still in occupied territory, and there were no guarantees. Elias hoped his older son would do the same. Then he got an idea. He went back to Hesh and did as he wanted. He pulled some energy from the battery Hesh had left for him on the bedside table. He picked up the paper with an L on it and turned it over. Then he wrote, Get some sleep, son. Your brother may need you before this is over. Hesh picked up the paper and gave a short laugh. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I miss you. Then he put the light out and laid down on his bed. Riley jumped up to lay beside him. Sleep well, son, Elias said, even though he knew Hesh didn't hear him. I will never stop being proud of you. When Logan woke, the clock on the dash said it was 3.30 a.m. There was a town outside the window. He stretched, then tapped Estelle. You need sleep too, he told her. She yawned in response. She slowed the car and pulled over into a small parking lot. No one was around. They switched places and Logan merged back on the road. He remembered some of the trips they'd taken as a family to hunt. They'd come down this way. There were two Tecates. One was in Mexico, the other in California. Of course, both were now in occupied territory, but he figured the Federation would probably take advantage of the large border crossing there, then build another. Logan would rather not pass through that. He thought about the town they were in and the time. He figured they were passing through El Centro. They had an hour or so to go to reach Tecate. Estelle picked up the Fed radio before she lay back for sleep. She listened in for a few minutes. I think they found the Jeep, Logan. He nodded. That meant they might be able to trace them into Phoenix. And if they did that, they might find someone from the resistance and make them talk. Or maybe one of them would voluntarily tell the Federation where they were going. The man named Rico, for example. Logan increased his speed. He wanted to get a lot closer to San Diego before dawn broke over the horizon behind them. Hesh woke up early and got some coffee. He went to the comm center to read the intelligence reports. Merrick was already there. The Federation force in Tijuana was building. San Diego was quietly prepping for an attack. The fact that much of the space between Tijuana and their section of San Diego was still massively ruined meant that the Federation would have a very hard time attacking any other way than by air. Only small teams with small vehicles could really do much damage in the tight cliffs and massive canyons and craters. Merrick handed him the report he was really interested in. The Federation had found the Canadian's jeep outside of Phoenix. It was out of gas. They locked down Phoenix and were searching it street by street, house by house. Hesh was glad Logan and Estelle were well out of the city. He hoped the resistance cell there would stay out of trouble. 
There was still a question of where Logan and Estelle were and how they were traveling. Did they have a vehicle? If so, they could be nearing San Diego's outer edges already. It was 05.30. Hesh wanted to know exactly where so the ghosts could offer an exfil. During the night, the traffic had eased up. There were fewer and fewer vehicles on the road. Logan had sped up again. He doubted traffic cops were really an issue at the edge of no man's land. As one light started to illuminate the landscape, he saw crater the craters in destruction on his right. They'd have to ditch the car soon. They'd actually make faster time through no man's land by foot. That was how bad the section around San Diego was. It could take them days of walking, but the car would not make it where they had to go. Estelle woke up when the road got rough. The sun was peeking over the horizon to the east. Where are we? she asked. Logan Fingerspelled El Cayon. That's right, you're from San Diego. You know these parts. Our base is well north, 40 miles in from the coast. Logan pulled over where the road was broken away. The right-hand lane was gone. This was it. Time to walk. Estelle yawned. Ugh, do we have time for breakfast? On the way, Logan replied, and she nodded. Logan got out and pulled his bag. He slipped his khakis over his civilian clothes. Estelle saw and did likewise. They needed to disappear at this point. Logan set his bag on the street, then returned to the car and started prying off the rearview mirror. Estelle got her things from the car and then helped get the mirror loose. Estelle tossed her wig into the passenger seat. Logan put the car in neutral, and they both went to the back to push it over. It was hard, and his arm ached, but the car went over and just kept going for quite a bit. They watched from the top as it careened down the walls of the crater toward the remains of what Logan guessed was a school. He could see the yellow of school buses. Then Logan put his bag over his shoulder and pointed Estelle into the woods on the left. He, they stayed under the trees as they walked. Estelle said she could walk fast and asked if he could keep up with her. He told her he would try. For now, they walked more slowly, and he cut sausage while she matched it with a cracker and took turns eating one or handing one to him. They washed that down with water, and then each had an orange. Logan paused to bury the rinds so that they wouldn't leave a trail. They used water to wash the stickiness off their hands and then continued on, this time walking in a faster clip. Logan kept listening to the forest around them for sounds. They could see the road, and it was still empty, but they were headed deeper into the woods. Logan knew there was a canyon between them and the outskirts of San Diego suburbs further south. Within a half an hour, they were looking down into Steel Canyon. Logan recognized the place as the Ote Sweetwater Refuge. Logan thought about it for a moment. Then he turned and told Estelle what he remembered. The canyon ran northeast, and at the northern end was Rancho San Diego. Perhaps they could have the ghosts meet them there. Logan heard sounds of vehicles and moved to the edge of the tree line. He asked for the binoculars, and Estelle retrieved them from her bag. There was a long line of vehicles moving up, and up the road. They were out of time. Logan put the binoculars away and ran down into the canyon. Estelle followed on his heels. They went deep into the trees. Then Logan motioned for her to call. He told her the name of the canyon, pointed out the remains of the bridge he could just see through the trees. She pulled out the radio. Sawyer to Ghost 1-1. Ghost 1-1. It was Merrick's voice. We are on foot in Steel Canyon, moving northeast, presently southwest of the old bridge. They're here. Copy. Stay safe. We're on our way. Sawyer out. She put the radio away. Okay, Logan, lead the way. Logan moved from tree to tree, and Estelle moved one tree behind him. They didn't see anyone yet. He wished he had a tracker. How had they found them? He wished he could hear his father, see him. His father could warn him of approaching vehicles. 
He wished for Riley, who could hear and smell them long before Logan did. He could kill them, too, but he had neither. He pulled the MTAR-X he'd taken from the guard at the border and loaded it. He didn't have a lot of ammo. He had a bit more for the P226. He had no idea if he could fight this fight. There were a lot of vehicles, and that meant a lot of enemies. To the north, he heard the staccato beats of an approaching helicopter, too soon for the northern reaches of, of San Diego. This had to be fed reinforcements. Fortunately, the woods in the canyon were overgrown. It made trekking slower, but gave them more cover as they went. He glanced through the trees to the bridge. He spotted several snipers there. He pulled back into the trees. He sunk down further into the underbrush. He glanced behind him, and Estelle had done the same. She looked scared. He didn't blame her. His own pulse was pounding. If they caught him... He couldn't think like that. He tried to tell himself that this was no different than the Yucatan. He'd been separated from the rest of the ghosts after their plane went down. Enemies were patrolling through the area, hunting him and the others. He had to make his way in the underbrush then, often crawling on his belly, but killing those he could get away with. He'd had a tracker then to let him know when they were close. He only had their radio. He pulled it from his bag and the earphones from his MP3 player. He put one earphone in, then turned the radio on. They were looking for him. The woman could be killed. He was to be taken alive. They were moving in from the north by air, the south by road. They were to comb the canyon from both ends. Estelle and he were trapped. Logan stopped moving. He ripped out the earphone. He couldn't think. There were too many of them. They'd catch him. He could only think of the pit, the mud, the smell, the worms, the hunger, the pain, the fear. Estelle saw Logan had stopped and first looked for the immediate threat. She didn't see anyone, but she knew they were there. She was more terrified than at any time in her life, more than the man with a knife to her throat at 3 a.m., way more than the canoe. Logan had so much more than those. He, all, he knew exactly what was in front of him if they caught him. She couldn't let it freeze him. She moved up to where he was and pulled him down into the undergrowth. They were kneeling together. She spoke as quietly as she could so that only he could hear. Logan. She touched his face, made him look at her. Logan, they're coming. You have to stay free until they do. We are going to get through this. They're surrounding us. At least he was signing. They'll kill you. Then I'll be with Jesus, she told him. She re was reminded of the verse, so she told him, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Logan, if I live, I will pray with everything I have for you. If I die, I go to be with my Lord. So don't concern yourself with me. I'll hide and I'll pray. But you, Logan, they won't kill you. You have that advantage. There are too many. He looked so downtrodden. Do you know the story of Gideon? She asked. When he shook his head, she gave him the short version. Gideon was a commander faced with a battle against overwhelming forces. God told him to send half his men back. Gideon was dismayed, but he did what God said. God kept whittling down his army. There was no earthly way that Gideon could win. When Gideon's army of hundreds beat the enemy of thousands, the victory was credited to God. I am confident, she told him, that God does not want you to be a prisoner again. I have been praying it since we got off that train. Be the ghost your father trained you to be. They will hesitate to kill you, but you can kill them. Elias watched from a distance. He wanted to go to Logan, but he was stuck to the spot. 
He wasn't sure why. That had never happened before. The glowing woman, Estelle, was talking with him, but Elias couldn't hear what she said. Logan signed, but he couldn't read the sign from this angle. Elias, a voice called. Elias looked around. He had never heard that voice before, but he thought maybe he knew it anyway. Elias, he's my child now. Elias looked back at Logan and saw that he, too, was glowing. Not as brightly as the woman, but glowing anyway. Trust me, the voice said. It's time for you to come home. Elias faintly hoped for the chance to say goodbye to his boys, to tell them that he loved them, but he knew they knew that. He felt he had to go, to go home, to join his wife and his parents and all those before him. He could see them now as the woods faded. There was a bright light. They were waiting for him there. Ajax was there too. They cheered him on. I trust you, he told the voice, and he went to them. Chapter 12 Logan wore his father's mask. He retold himself the story that his father had told about the ghost's creation. Sixty men against five hundred, then just fifteen. And they had won. He prayed like Estelle had. He asked God to keep him free. He had left her in a thicket and in amongst the thorns. She tucked herself in there, and he pulled vines and brush over her. And then he forgot her. He saw a line of soldiers moving toward him. He was lying down in the brush in the shadows. The soldier walked within a foot of him. He rose up behind him and shot him in the head. Then he disappeared in the brush again. A group of three approached from the west. He waited for them to pass, then took out the last of the three with his knife. The other two he shot with the silenced Mtar X. They dropped. He moved on. He stayed in the shadows and never crossed under light if he could manage it. He used what he had done in Yucatan. He could avoid being seen. When he had the time, he covered the bodies with brush, but he kept moving, never staying in one place more than a few minutes. He would be a moving target. When there were too many getting too close, he let them pass, then tossed a grenade and moved the opposite direction. The sound of the explosion drew the others, but he was at the other side of the canyon by then. He was able to sight one of the snipers on the old bridge. It was a long distance, but the man dropped down and thudded into the canyon floor. He moved on. Four were standing and talking to one another, probably officers. Logan mowed them down. He lost track of time. He ran out of ammo in his MTAR X and switched to the customized P226. He just kept fighting, determined to stay free. Every fed he faced wanted to take him into torture again. He forgot about being hungry or thirsty. He forgot to be afraid. He was angry. Each enemy was a replacement for the men who had hurt him in Colombia, especially Rourke. There was a firefight to the north. Airplanes flew overhead, strafed the bridges. Another section of the old one fell, taking a sniper with it. The Federation soldiers were getting jumpier, careless. Logan pulled the pin from a grenade on one man's hip and slipped behind a large tree. The man kept walking, then exploded. Logan disappeared in the smoke from the blast. He reloaded his P226. He was running out of ammo. He needed a new weapon. He was closer now to the fallen section of the bridge. The sniper was pinned but alive. He struggled to aim and Logan shot him. That section was in sunlight, not enough trees or shadows. He moved on, circling it wide. He was in the shadow of the new bridge then, Campo Street. Gunships up there were smoking. Logan couldn't go past it. He could get caught in the crossfire. He took up a position behind the old bridge and waited for the patrols to pass. He picked off the nearer ones. He needed ammo. 
He crawled forward toward the nearest body. It was dappled in shade, but the overhead sun shone down on it through the leaves. Logan turned the body over. Then he saw the laser sight on his chest. He tried to roll away, but the man had him, told him to get to his knees. Logan did, but put the pistol to his chin as he did so. No cause for that, Walker, the man said in a heavily accented English. He kept his gun trained on Logan while he pulled out his radio. Thank El. Another soldier moved in from behind. Logan cocked the gun. The first man waved off the second. A third joined them. We will not kill you, Sergeant, the man said. The director has big plans for you. Logan didn't move. He just stared at that man with all the hatred he could muster. He tried his damnedest to be still while his heart pounded in his chest. He would not show them fear. Not this time. Everything happened at once. There was a flash of brown, and the first man began screaming. Someone shouted, Logan, down! And Logan fell forward as bullets flew over him. Then something began licking his mask. Logan started to push himself up, and someone grabbed his collar, yanking him back. They dra dragged him backwards as he scrambled with his feet to, to keep from choking. Finally, they dropped him in the cover of the wreckage of the bridge. Riley barreled into him, and he fell back as relief washed over him. Keegan pushed the dog off and offered a hand. Logan took it, but as soon as he stood, his legs turned to jelly and he fell back down. Hesh rushed up then. He helped Logan back further into the wreckage. Lo Keegan left them to continue the fighting. Ghost 6-4 recovered, Logan heard through Hesh's radio. Logan was having a hard time breathing. He peeled off the mask. It's okay, Logan. You can drop the gun. Logan looked at his hand. He still had the P-226. His hand, while his whole arm, thanks to the cast, was shaking. He was shaking. Hesh took the gun. God, Logan, it was empty? No wonder you're shaky. He wrapped Logan in a tight hug. Logan, where's Estelle? Estelle. Logan didn't know. Was she far? She was in the thicket. Had they killed her? Hesh handed him a thick tablet. Logan, sink on Riley. Lead him to her. Logan looked at Riley. He was wearing the vest. He synced, and the display from Riley's camera came into focus. Logan saw himself. He turned the dog around. Merrick, Riley will find Sawyer. Copy. I'll follow the dog. Hesh nodded, and Logan sent Riley around the wreckage. He led him southwest, scanning the trees. Riley stepped over bodies. Enemies were outlined on the screen. He zigzagged back through the canyon. Finally, he saw the thicket up ahead, three trees growing together. He also saw the outline of an enemy approaching from the opposite side. Logan moved Riley around the thicket, keeping him low and slow. He got Riley behind the man, then sent the order to kill. Riley was efficient. The man was down. Logan sent him into the thicket. He heard him bark. Estelle, Merrick said. It's Riley. Come out. A hand appeared. A woman's hand. Merrick worked to clear the brush. Logan turned Riley around to keep guard. Riley, let's go, Merrick ordered. Logan spun Riley around and led him back to the broken section of the bridge. Estelle ran to him. She dropped a bag, then dropped to her knees beside him. You did it, she laughed as she held him. God is good. Merrick dropped the other bag. He switched off his radio and motioned that Hesh should do the same. This has got to stop, Merrick said. We can't risk the men this guy can every time he hunts for Logan. He picked up Logan's mask. Logan, you need to be less of a target. You need to die here today. Logan was confused. Hesh was too. What do you mean? He stood up to face Merrick. Relax, Hesh. Merrick held up a hand. We're going to fake it. He looked to Logan. Do you think you can stay limp, play dead? Your brother will carry you out. 
He can be a very good actor, Estelle said. She squeezed his hand. Just pray for God's protection and comfort. Don't be afraid. Logan nodded. He was afraid. But Hesh was there. Riley was there. The ghosts were there. Merrick switched his radio back on. Hesh did likewise. Kick, we need an immediate expel. Can you get the chopper down between the edges of the old Steel Canyon Bridge? Just barely. Kick's voice came back on the radio. Give me cover. You got it. That was Keegan's deeper voice. You'll take Estelle and the Walker boys. Get them back to base. Copy, Kick said. Then I'll come back for you. The wind picked up as the sound of the helicopter drew nearer. Ghosts sat in the open doors with machine guns firing at enemies from the bridges. Merrick nodded, and Hesh lifted Logan in a fireman's carry. Estelle picked up the mask, and Logan willed himself to be limp. I'm dead, he told himself, just one letter different than death. Hesh laid him in the chopper, and Estelle helped to pull him inside. What the? Kick started. Then he stopped and just flew. They left the ground, and the sounds of the fighting began to recede into the distance. Hesh tapped him on the shoulder and helped Logan to sit up. They flew over the ruins of the city on the north. Finally, they dropped as they neared a small two-story building with a steeple and solar panels on the roof, the church. He was finally home. Later that night, the three of them waited in the sanctuary. Logan was quiet beside him, and Estelle was fidgety. She told Hesh how they had been put off the train by his father, but without their shoes. They had gone south, shadowing the tracks until they came to the border crossing. They'd taken shoes from the dead there. Logan had stolen a radio and keys. One of the guards spotted her, and Logan killed him before they ha he had a chance to hurt her. They pushed a jeep down into the canyons and then drove until the gas ran out. They'd worn their civvies and pretended to be a deaf couple as they walked through Phoenix. They stopped at a cafe for lunch, and the waitress helped Estelle get a wig to blend in better. She was in the resistance, and they arranged for them to take a car and get away. They got out and drove, but once they left the car behind, the enemy had shown up very quickly. They'd encircled them. Estelle had hidden in the thicket. Merrick and Keegan entered at that point. Hesh was relieved to see them back. We left some survivors on the bridge, he said, some who might have seen you carry her, your brother. We left a radio where they could find it, heard us talking about him being killed. Let's just hope it's enough for whoever is, it is to buy it. He handed Logan's mask to Hesh. It's yours now. You'll wear it in honor of your father and brother. Logan will get a new mask, Keegan stated, and a new name. Merrick leaned back on the pew in front of Logan. I've been thinking about it. How's phantom sound to you? Logan shook his head. He lifted his left hand and spelled out a word. Estelle smiled beside him. Gideon, she said. Merrick nodded. That works, too. Logan wanted to believe that being home with Hesh was the end to his issues, the fear, the shaking, but it wasn't the case. He felt a thousand times better, but the fear remained. Estelle told him about a man who had attacked her in her bedroom as a teenager. He'd held a knife to her throat at three in the morning. She said three things had saved her. 3 a.m. She wasn't thinking right. He never made it to her bed because she met him at the door. God. She stayed calm in spite of the knife poised to stab her in the neck. And finally, the man's stupidity. When they agreed to go outside and talk, he'd walked out first, and she'd locked the doors behind him. She said she went to school the next day. Her hands shook when she told the story. They shook for possibly ten years. Logan hoped it wouldn't take him ten years. That night, he'd gotten cleaned up, then Hesh showed him to his room. As soon as Logan sat on the bed, he felt exhausted. Riley jumped on the bed, and Logan curled up with him to sleep. When he woke up, Riley was gone. Hesh was waiting for him. Get dressed. 
he said. I'll give you the tour. After a tour of the church, they'd gone to breakfast. Everyone else had already eaten. Hesh put some waffles in the toaster. When they popped, he brought out the peanut butter and syrup. Just like you like them. Logan ate them without any feeling of being sick. He got to see the wider military base when Hesh drove him over to the hospital. The doctors there re checked him over, rebandaged his ribs, and reset his cast. They set him a nutrition plan and exercise regimen to get stronger. He stayed behind with Estelle when the ghosts went out on missions, and the fear always rose when his brother was gone. Sometimes Logan woke from nightmares. They were always about Hesh getting captured or dying. Hesh was always there to calm him those nights. He'd sit on the bed with him and remind him that it was just a dream. One night, after a particularly horrid dream, where he'd seen Hesh skinned alive, Logan had apologized to Hesh for being such a burden. Hesh had just put his forehead to Logan's and told him, You will never be a burden to me. You're my brother. While he stayed behind, he walked with Estelle, met her for reading hour when she continued their journey through Middle Earth. He worked out the muscles he was allowed to and ate more and more without feeling sick. Four months later, he'd reached his previous weight. The cast and the bandages were gone, and he was physically strong enough for field work. Merrick didn't push him, but asked if he wanted it. He did. He wanted his life back, all of it. He wanted to not be afraid when he went back out. Merrick started him slow. He kept Gideon on exfield duty with Kick, or had him man the remote sniper or control an osprey. Merrick handed him a sniper rifle and told him to hang back, keep in cover, and aim his shots. Gideon found he had a knack for it. Little by little, the shaking had eased. The panic that had inhabited his chest for so long subsided. He was a ghost again. He never saw his father again, awake or in dreams. Hesh left that battery on the bedside table for months. Estelle told him his dad had probably moved on to his reward. Logan liked the sound of that. Merrick and Norad had worked on the intel that the man who wanted Logan was director of something. He'd be a man with military power to order such assaults. They finally narrowed it down two years later. Gideon's last mission was to put him down. The shot was over 600 meters in wind and rain. Three years later. Hesh stood in front of him. He straightened Logan's collar and pinned his boutonniere. You look good, Logan Walker. Logan turned to look in the mirror. He wore a dress uniform for the first time, and finally the badge on his breast showed his real name, L. Walker. He had a blue ribbon around his neck with a new medal. Hesh had one just like his. They knew their father would be very proud of those. Hesh had more battle ribbons on his chest, but Logan also had the purple heart for those months he'd missed. But now the war was over. The Federation was defeated by a coalition of North American and European allies. The world was starting to turn right again, and Logan realized that panic in his chest was nowhere to be found. He felt good. Keegan entered the room. He was in dress uniform, too. You ready, Hesh? Hesh straightened his own uniform and patted Logan on the shoulder. See you soon. He left, and Logan was left with just the ring bearer, Estelle's nephew. She had, it turned out, lots of sisters. She was the second oldest of six. Logan asked the boy if he was nervous. The boy sighed back that he wasn't. He'd done this twice before with two of his aunts. Came with being the only nephew. Logan held the door open for him, and they went out into the hall. The music started playing in the sanctuary. It wasn't the usual wedding music. It was Mozart because, well, Mozart. Estelle had a thing for Mozart. She walked out of the waiting room toward him. She looked beautiful in a long white gown full of lace and sequins. She wore a long veil that hung down her back. One of her sisters arranged the train behind her. Logan signed to Estelle, you look beautiful. 
I'm so nervous, she admitted, signing with one hand while she held her bouquet with the other. I've officiated weddings, of course, just my first time being the bride. Only time, Logan reminded her. He kissed her cheek, then offered his elbow. The doors in front of them opened, and they walked slowly down the aisle as the people in the pews stood and gawked. Thomas Merrick, down front, looked like he'd seen an angel. Hesh just grinned. He was standing beside the best man, Keegan Russ. Logan passed her to Merrick, then stepped back and sat beside Estelle's mother. She took his arm and signed, I wish her father was here to see this. Logan looked up, then replied, Maybe he can. The end. But not really the end, because there are special features to this story. And... <laughs> The next chapter, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's very, very short. Chapter 13, bonus features. The making of more than a ghost. Next chapter, deleted scenes. Very last chapter. And that's it. So, tomorrow, we'll look into those bonus features. What do you say? Well, that was it. The main story of More Than a Ghost is finished. But there is one more episode to go, the bonus features. So I'll do that tomorrow because I've got a lot of things to do on this Sunday night. But I hope you enjoyed this story. I hope you have a, you know, enjoyed that there was happy happy ending at the end <laughs> you know I hope you were a little bit worried that Logan was going to marry Estelle <laughs> if she had done that she would have been a Mary Sue but she didn't she was marrying Merrick so there you go I hope that you enjoyed this I hope that this story has been therapy if you played or watched that game and the ending of it and were traumatized that's why I wrote it and you know it worked for me I think this story you know is worthy you know it wasn't an easy way out for Logan easy way outs or cop-outs you know um, you take the end of the game like that and you just write a story where they find him in the pit and get him out. That's a cop-out. That's not... That's not enough of a story to really satisfy the trauma that they left us with. It did not resolve the cliffhanger in a realistic sense. So, we know from the game, even though Elias shouldn't have known it, that how Rourke was tortured and then turned. So Logan had to experience some of those very same things. And it had to be awful. I mean, Rourke, you know, he was the leader of the ghosts. And so hated Almagro, um, their target, and, you know, was against the Federation. And now he's very much working with the Federation and fully turned. And as Elias said, if they could turn Rourke, they could turn anyone. So it had to be harsh. And so that's what I did. I made it really harsh. 
But I also wanted to put in that family aspect because the game, I think they used the family aspect to help us, even though the story was mediocre at times, to make us care so much about those characters so that it really hit hard when Rourke dragged him into the jungle. The brothers cared about each other dearly. The father cared about his sons dearly. The dog loved them. He's a good dog. <laughs> As I've said, I'm a cat person, but he's a good dog. Um, I wanted to get that family thing in there. I wanted to imagine how Hesh felt without Logan. And if you want a, an example of that, watch the ending again because the way he screams and reaches for Logan as Rourke drags him away. It's just heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Hesh lost his father in a horrible way. Now he's lost his brother. Just days after. It's not even been a week. And he's hurt and can't follow. It's just... Uh, I feel for Hesh, too, so I wanted to put that in there. I wanted us to see Hesh's suffering, Hesh's trauma. But I think even this story needed something to lift it, and so I put in this chaplain who brought some hope and some faith into the story. And I admit I let my... Christian beliefs get in there. Um, it helped to write a chaplain, I'll tell you. But also, it, you know, some of what she says is, you know, things I believe, you know, the two things that, you know, when I don't understand things, two things that, um, you know, make it easier is that God's highest wisdom is so far above, our high, man's highest wisdom is so far below God's joke. So his wisdom is way on up there. He knows far more than we do. And that he works in mysterious ways. He may not work the way we want him to. It's up to him. It's not up to us. So, yeah, one of these days, I'm going to be with him and ask him, how do the dinosaurs fit into all this, actually? Clarify that timeline for me, if you please. So, he knows. I don't. Um, so, I put my faith in there because it made sense. And the title, More Than a Ghost, seemed so fitting. Sometimes titles are hard. Aftermath was to be determined for quite a few chapters before I decided it was Aftermath. This story was almost instant. Call of Duty Ghosts. The group is called Ghosts, and I'm having Elias be a ghost. <laughs> so, more than a ghost kind of goes two different ways. He's more than a ghost soldier. He's a ghost in the paranormal sense. Or he's more than a ghost in the paranormal sense. He's his father. He's sent by God. Or he's his father, and he's a soldier. And, you know, he can help in ways that we don't see ghosts helping 
he can touch Logan in the pit. He can touch Logan in Colombia. And it was because he could touch Logan that Logan could move the knife up and down because he didn't have the strength, but his father couldn't touch the knife, but he could touch Logan's fist around the knife and thus move it up and down to stab Rourke to death. So he did kill Rourke in the end, he and Logan together. And that was the way to do it. <laughs> Just help Logan do it. So I really enjoyed reading this story. Um, it was nice to read it again. It's been a while. As I said, I sat after chapter six and read like the rest of the story because <laughs> I couldn't put it down. I hope that you feel that way. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope you're looking forward to the bonus features, especially those deleted scenes. Um, they're basically just short little vignettes that I didn't put in the story, but they kind of carry the story forward or give you different aspects and stuff. And some of them are kind of fun. There's one from Riley's point of view. <laughs> so some of them are kind of fun. Some of them just give you a little different insight and such. Okay, I am going to go ahead and sign off. If you would like to get in touch with me, and I would really love it if you did, you can email me at inhildy at gmail.com or tweet me at inhildy. Inhildy is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. And of course, you can find More Than a Ghost on fanfiction.net or AO3. And that, oh, AO3 is Archive of Our Own. I hope to see you, or I don't actually get to see you, but I hope you join me next time for the bonus features. Bye. Thank you.